you would please open in the Bible to Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24, which you'll find on page 811 in the Pew Bible. You'll also find it on page 8 in the bulletin, Matthew chapter 6. This morning we're going to look at verses 19 to 24. If you would please stand. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The word of the Lord. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you very much uh, to, for the privilege of gathering here today. It, it is always a joy to us. We pray that you would seal between us, Father, your gracious love by the power of your gracious spirit. Uh, Father, we pray now that you would please open our ears and our hearts, put away from us all the distractions that would keep us from hearing you, and give us grace, Father, that we might truly hear your word, believe it, obey it, Father, and rejoice in it. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Um, where is your heart? It's somewhere. In Greek, heart is cardia, where we get the English words cardio and cardiac. In Greek, it was thought of, as it is in English, as the, the heart, uh, the, the seat of our emotions, our feelings, um, it's there in the heart where we find the, the values, the things that, that motivate us, that move us, that matter the most to us. Well, according to Jesus in verse 21 of the passage we're looking at this morning on page 811, Matthew chapter 6 verse 21 says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So this morning we're going to be thinking about our treasure and our heart. Now let's ask a pretty important question at the beginning. Why does it matter where our heart is? Why does it matter? Well, it has all kinds of implications for all kinds of things. And Jesus here in this passage actually gives us a few of those things. Uh, he's going to talk to us about uh, how our heart shapes what we see and uh, whom we serve and what we value. Um, it's our heart which shapes these realities in our life. Let's, let's think about these. Uh, look down, if you would, at, at uh, verse 22. Jesus talks about the eye. He goes directly from talking as he does in verse 21 about the heart and our treasure to verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, 
your whole body will be full of darkness. Uh, Jesus is not here being an optometrist uh, or an ophthalmologist. He's using a very familiar image to to describe how our heart and where our treasure is will shape what we see. And in this image, he uses the idea of of healthy versus a, a badness or not healthy. Again, he's not making judgments, he's just using an image to describe this reality, which is very common sense. Jesus says that if, if your eye, which is, he says, the, the, the lamp of the body, the way we see, the things we see, what we see, shapes so much of our experience of reality. The way we see will shape uh, whether we're healthy or whether we're not healthy. That matters a lot. That's why it matters where your treasure is. That's why it matters where your heart is. Because what we have in our heart, uh, that will shape how we see the health versus unhealth. Um, This week I was reading a friend's comments on an Austrian tourist in the 1840s. Her name was Ida Pfeiffer. This is a terrible way to be remembered, but Ida Pfeiffer, who was an elderly lady, did some touring across the Middle East. Uh, I think it may have been Egypt, I'm not sure, but somewhere in the Middle East she went, and she made several pages of notes, I guess, and and, uh, subsequent generations found her notes, and in her description of her visit to Egypt, I think it was, she went into great lengths about how filthy the people were and how ignorant they were and how ill-mannered they were. This was an Austrian lady in the 1840s. She, she, because of her framework and the way she viewed the world, all she could see when she saw these people was how awful they were. I mean, filthy. You know, that's one way of looking at Immigrants, that's one way of looking at new people. That's one way of looking at people from different cultures, from our own. It, it can move us to this, I don't know, this attitude of judging and looking down on people. Uh, poor Ida Pfeiffer did that. Let's hope she repented. Uh, because what an awful way to be remembered is someone who just looked down on other people and judged them and, and rejected them because of it. It tells us a lot about Ida's worldview. It tells us a lot about what was in her heart, what mattered to her, where were her feelings. She, all she could see was the, the ugliness. Uh, a later writer uh, named Philip Glazebrook, who actually quoted Ida Pfeiffer, uh, Philip Glazebrook went into this same part of the world a century and a half later, but when he went, what he saw was opportunity And he saw people with lives and people who, as a Christian, I can say this, they, despite all their challenges, they bore in their body the reference points of being images of God. Images of God. When when he looked around, he saw the beauty, the potential, the opportunity. He saw the love and, and the difficulties they'd endured and the potential, the possibilities among them. I think that is a, that is a, that's a viewpoint issue, isn't it? I mean, it's just uh, what you see is shaped by what you feel, what matters to you. 
I was very glad that uh, among the things the youth group did this past week, they spent a day going down to save my starving children. That is a ministry around the corner from where Leslie and I live. And this is a ministry that reaches out in uh, help and service. Is it a Christian ministry specifically? Yeah, I thought it was. It's a, it's a Christian ministry that reaches out in Christ's name to the neediest of the needy. And it meant a lot to me that our young people, in the midst of a very busy week, took a full day or most of a day to go down there and to prepare meals, food, for people, I think, around the world. And I'm so glad our young people were able to go with their adult leaders and, and see that the potential, the significance, the meaning of these vulnerable lives. And, of course, our ESL program, you know, it's, it's sort of aimed at that same kind of thing. Different group of people, different demographics, different aspects of life that they'll be dealing with. But it, the, the, it has to do with the way you look at things. Do you care about, do we care about the people around us who, who are struggling? Maybe they're struggling financially. Maybe they're struggling emotionally, relationally. Maybe they're isolated. They feel disconnected. They've lost their culture. They're in a different place. ESL is meant to help people who come here, whatever their personal situation may be. We don't judge them. We don't look down on them. We try to help them. And where does that come from? Where does that impulse come from? Well, it comes from having eyes to see it. What you see is shaped by what matters to you. And the older I get, the more I know that's true. It matters. It also shapes whom you serve. Jesus says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. He's talked about health in verses 22 to 23. And in 24, he talks about having a master. What you care about, what your feelings are, will shape how you see the world, and it will shape whom you serve. Brothers and sisters, you serve someone, something. We all do. And that person or that thing is shaped by what matters to us. What our feelings are, what our heart is, what, what really matters to us will lead us in terms of whom we serve. Well, Jesus says you, you can't serve two masters. And again, that's just common sense. He says either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. It's the same sort of reverse. You, you can't do both at the same time. I guess as Christians, sometimes we think you can have two masters. But Jesus, in love, wants us to know that ultimately you can't do that. You can only have one master. You know, um, we live in a, a country that is very grateful for all God's blessings to us. And uh, my generation in particular, we grew up being very, very proud of our country. I think that's changing generationally. But that was certainly my upbringing. I, I love our country. I very much love our country. But you know what, brothers and sisters? Our love for our country cannot become our master. We can't do that. Love for country cannot be our master in Christ. No, we can only have one master. 
I think in love, Jesus wants us to understand this principle that, that we, we have to decide. Something we think about, we cultivate, we pray about. We have moments where we get it wrong, but his word of love to us is be conscious of this. You know, all these um, verses in chapter 6 have been pointed at, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, as he explains to us what we should do. But he starts with saying, don't do this. And he says that here, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't let your, your heart's commitment to this world lead you to serve a false master. I think in my generation, the Christians have learned the hard way. Politics is a terrible master. Politics is a terrible master. Uh, you can't do it that way. Now, we can use it. We can, we can be involved in it. But it cannot be our master. At the end of the day, we can only have one master. And that's what Jesus wants us to know. So this 4th of July, as you celebrate all of God's goodness to us, and my family and I, we plan to do that. But while you're doing that, remember the rest of the world. Remember the people among us who don't share our heritage, don't share our, our, our love in the same exact way, but we care about them, and, and that's, that will shape whom we serve. Will we serve God in Christ by the Spirit, or will we serve someone else? And of course, ultimately... It will shape what we value. Uh, that, that runs all the way through all of this. As Jesus is describing the treasure in our heart, uh, all of it has to do with what we really value, what is really, really important to us. We'll think more about that in reference to each of these warnings. Look back up at verse 19. Now we've got what you see, whom you serve, what you value. Let's look at what Jesus has to say in verses 19 to 21. Jesus cautions his disciples and he cautions us, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. You'll notice the word is plural, treasures. It's plural in Greek as well. Uh, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Treasures with an S, plural, uh, all these treasures, these, these things that we see in this world that we are a part of. God has placed us in a beautiful world. Now, every once in a while in this beautiful world, we're reminded of the, the fall. We're reminded of sin and judgment often. But if you look around this world, it's so beautiful. Uh, it's, even on a blazing 110-degree day, it's, it's still beautiful to look out the window and see it. <laughs> with the air conditioner on. It's beautiful. So it's not a surprise, really, that, that this earth, the world, would become so important to us and, and something we, we do love. And it can, it can become the center of our world. That, that is actually a reality, not only for our generation, but for every generation. It is certainly true for our generation. We live in a world that's moved by what we can see, by what we look out and see, and, and that shapes our emotions and our feelings, and our emotions and our feelings shape how we look at the world, 
And we're drawn to these beautiful things. We're, brought, we're drawn to these transient things that are so beautiful to our eyes and, and they're so beautiful to our ears and they involve very often our sense of taste. We can, we can delight in the beautiful things God has placed around us. The, the, the sun in the sky, the, the sound of the breeze, uh, the feel of the sun on our face, uh, the taste of good food that we can share. All these things are good things. Well, Jesus says... Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't let those good things become your treasures. The things that motivate you, the things that drive you in your heart. Because they will. Unless we're very, very careful. And apart from the Holy Spirit, that is the way of man. We, we run after these things of the earth. Jesus gives us several very common sense reasons not to do it. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust, if you look, there's a little footnote there. Rust has a footnote. Uh, rust could just as easily be translated uh, worm. I thought, what Greek word can mean rust or worm? Well, the Greek word means eating, consuming. Rust corrodes and consumes metallic objects. Worms eat organic objects, eating, corroding, consuming. That's the idea. So Jesus says the moth, you know, we lived in a house a few years ago that uh, had a problem with some moths, and uh, we lost a whole closet full of stuff. This was in our home years and years ago, uh, and it's a terrible thing to know that your stuff can be eaten by this little bug and when you talk about rust and this idea of things consuming, whether it's metallic things like rusting away or organic things like worms eating, uh, it's a terrible thing to live in a world where your stuff is consumed, it's corroded, it decays. Um, I'll mention the youth group again. Uh, one of the jobs we gave the youth group was to clean out the storage room at the end of the hall. Let me tell you, uh, you probably don't know this, and I'm happy about that, that storage room was crammed full of stuff. You could sometimes hardly open the door. That's because we had a lot of stuff from Metrocrest, but we also had a lot of stuff from Christchurch Carrollton when the two churches merged a couple of years ago. Christchurch Carrollton brought trucks and car loads full of stuff, and we put it in that room because we had nowhere else to put it. And so we asked our, our intrepid youth group, uh, uh, led by... Cama Smith to go down there, open the door with fear and trembling, and begin to take things out. And we got so much stuff out. And let me just tell you, there was a whole lot of consumption and worm-like, rust-like decay among the stuff, even over just two and a half years. And I got to tell you, there's, there's hardly anything, speaking of birthdays, there's hardly anything more humbling than having a room full of young people going, look at this old person phone. And they held up a phone. And I remember buying that phone. That was the cool phone. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. That was the cool phone. Look at this old person phone. Because that's the way this world is. It, it's consumed. It decays. It, it gets out of style. Rust and moths. They consume, they destroy the things. And if we put our, our focus, and if what really matters to us is that stuff, then how foolish are we? 
And yet, isn't that the way we live today? I mean, our culture, our culture is built around consumption. We're not even embarrassed by it anymore. We're, we're proud to be a consuming nation. Our nation consumes more than any other nation by far. You know, uh, driving over towards um, Louisville, as you go on uh, Hebron Parkway, you pass a monument to our consumption, a giant landfill that literally looks like it's about to burst. Just a little reminder, that's our world. You know what's going on inside that mountain, that monument uh, to our consumption? It's decaying. It's rusting. Worms are eating it, if we're lucky. (laughs) Yeah, don't lay up treasures on earth. Those things are wasting away in one way or another. Don't do it. Doing it will certainly shape the way we see. Like Ida Pfeiffer 150 years ago, we can lose sight of what's really valuable. We can, we can see big and flashy as more important, as authentic and simple. Uh, and church life. It's, I'm, I'm sad to say the church is infected with this too. Not just our country, but our churches. American churches are infected with this. We think every church is supposed to be a mega church. If you're not a mega church, then there's something wrong with you. If you're not going to a megachurch, something's wrong with you. See, it, that, that illusion of bigness and flashiness, it can shape our way of looking at things, even in the church. Remember, Jesus is writing this to his disciples. He's saying to his disciples, don't do this. Why? Because they're tempted to do that. We are tempted to do that. It will certainly shape whom we serve. So many of us spend every day of the week, except for Sunday, if you come to church, chasing after other things. Because it value, it's value, it's so valuable to us. It matters so much to us. It's the way we look at things, and brothers and sisters, it's whom we ultimately serve. All too often. And Jesus cautions us not to do that. You can't do it. Yes, we work hard. That is a Christian principle. We're called to enjoy work, to look at work as an opportunity to be a Christian witness. All those good things. They all matter. They're all true. But we can't let work become our master. When we've done that, it's become our treasure And that, brothers and sisters, is where our heart will be ultimately. Whether we recognize it or not, in love, Jesus warns us. And it certainly shapes what we value. Certainly shapes what we value. 
So don't do that. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth because, brothers and sisters, if you put your treasure on earth, that is where your heart will be. It will, it will not rise any higher than the horizon. It will be this world only. And that's what Jesus has cautioned us again and again and again about, about giving, about praying, about fasting. If he says, if your audience is this world, if that's what matters to you, if that's the thing that drives you, if that's where your heart is, then guess what? That's all there is. Full stop. It stops at the horizon. It stops. There's nothing more. It's just that. How sad that is, especially for a Christian who knows the reality of God's blessings in Christ. The blessings of heaven. So Jesus cautions his disciples. He cautions us not to do that. And that's, that's a word for us. It's a word for me and my family. I think it might be a word for all of us. So what does Jesus say? Verse 20. Instead of laying up treasures for yourselves on earth, he says, verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. You know, uh, our storage room could have been robbed. I kind of wish someone had robbed our storage room. Um, but... That's what happens with stuff in this world. It can be stolen. Well, there's a treasure place that's more secure than Fort Knox. It's called heaven. Did you know that Matthew uses the word heaven and the expression kingdom of heaven more than any other New Testament writer? In fact, Matthew is the only Gospel writer who uses the word kingdom of heaven. The other gospel writers say kingdom of God. And they're, I think they're probably synonyms. But Matthew very specifically uses the word kingdom of heaven. Why did Matthew uniquely use that expression to describe what is essentially the same thing as far as I can tell? Why did he use kingdom of heaven? Well, there are a lot of interesting theories. One is Jews, and remember Matthew was particularly concerned about Jewish believers. He was particularly concerned about connecting Jewish believers to Gentile believers. So he didn't use the word God because Jews were taught from a very young age not to say God's name, not to make references to God. I've got Jewish friends who will write G hyphen D. Maybe you've had that seen that in a letter or in a book or something. They were taught from a very young age not to say the word God, not to use the four-letter name of God. And so Matthew, in deference to them, as a cultural deference to them, uh, himself being Jewish, very familiar with this way of looking at things, uh, he used the word kingdom of heaven instead. Same idea, but different words as a, as a point of deference to Jewish believers who would be reading this and getting this gospel. And because he loved them and cared for them, uh, he, he wanted to put it in a way that would be particularly accessible to them. And that's what he did. Um, you know, that, that's, that's an interesting way of thinking of it. But you know what? Interestingly, the Greek word for heaven is uranus. It's one of the first words we learned in uh, Greek vocabulary recently, uranus. Does that sound familiar? It's the planet, Uranus. Uranus. Uh, the Greek word for God, so for heaven, the Greek word for heaven is actually based on the Greek word for a Greek God who was one of the proto-gods. And this is interesting about the Greek god Uranus. Uh, he was married to his mother. 
Go figure. Um, that was a different culture. But the word that Matthew is using in deference to the Jews is a Greek word which makes reference to a Greek god. The idea is there are gods all around us. There are gods all around us. Uh, we can make anything a god. J.R. Packer, one of my great heroes, once said that we are idol-making factories. We make idols out of everything. When we see something that's beautiful, it has the potential to become an idol to us, whether it's things or people or relationships or countries. We can turn that into an idol. Well, Jesus says to his disciples, don't do that. Instead, instead he says, um, instead of doing that, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, Matthew, who uses the word heaven a lot, has used the word heaven multiple times in the Sermon on the Mount. And in fact, leading up to the Sermon on the Mount, if you look over at Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, the way Matthew describes Jesus' preaching the gospel was he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you look a little further down, you'll see that there are references in verse 3 to the kingdom of heaven. And if you look at... Uh, at uh, chapter 6, verse 9, you'll see a reference to our Father in heaven. What Jesus is saying here, as Matthew records his words, is we should put our treasures in heaven where God is. And by the way, do you notice the switch from plural to singular? Uh, in verses uh, 19 and 20, the word treasures is used, and that's true in Greek, plural. But if you look down at, uh, at the very uh, end of the passage in verse 21, it's treasure singular, and that's also true in Greek. You see, what our treasures are become our treasure. The, the sum of our treasures becomes our treasure, most treasured. Jesus says, put your treasures in heaven where your treasure is. What's our treasure? What are meant to be our treasures? Well, there's a lot of things. Jesus talks about the delight of doing the will of his father. And he actually uses the words reward, the word reward, uh, several times. He says that we will get this reward. What is this reward? This reward is part of our treasure. It's, it's pleasing God and deepening our relationship with him. It's not to earn anything. <laughs> it is not to earn anything. It is because of something. Because of what God has done for us in Christ. Earning his pleasure. Doing something that delights him. Well, isn't that something any Christian would want to want to do? Yes. Jesus says, that's, that's one of your treasures. It's part of your treasure. The, the reward of pleasing our Father. Not to earn Him His love, but to respond to His love. And the Christian life is all about that. It's living this relationship of love with our Father. So it's, it includes these rewards. It includes people. Over in, um, in uh, Peter's letter to the church, uh, he actually uses a similar idea to describe what the church is. Uh, 
If you look at First uh, Peter, uh, chapter nine, uh, chapter sorry, chapter two, verse nine, uh, you'll read Peter the apostle who heard Jesus deliver the Sermon on the Mount, talking about our being a people for God's own possession. We are we are part of God's treasure. Uh, he delights in us. He calls us to himself. We are, we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So part of the treasure in heaven in, includes these rewards by involved in pleasing our Father, but it's also the, the treasure of one another. You know, the church is it's God's treasure, his, his special possession that he loves. You know, you cannot take anything to heaven, but you can take people with you to heaven. We can't do it on our own, of course, but we can be involved in God's work, opening eyes, leading people to express their faith in Christ. What a blessing it is to think that we might have a tiny role to play in God adding to his treasure those whom he has called to himself. And brothers and sisters, can you imagine a greater privilege than, than God allowing the likes of you and me to be a little part of that? Maybe an ESL student, maybe someone who gets one of these meals delivered by a Christian ministry. Uh, countless ways that we get to be a part of God drawing this treasure to himself that he delights in. So God's people, that's, that's part of the treasure that Jesus is describing. And of course, ultimately, the great treasure in heaven for all of us in Christ well, we just sang about it. If you look back at our very opening hymn, Nick, I, I love the hymns this week as usual, great hymns. But if you look at the very last, next to last verse on page two, and be thou my vision, be thou my vision. Isn't that interesting? Lord, you be my eyes. You, you be my vision. Help me to see the world the way you see the world. Be thou my vision. You be my vision. And then look to the, at the very na- next to last verse. We sang this just minutes ago. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure, thou art. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God and his unique life is our treasure. He is our treasure. And if we really accept that and really believe that and really think about that and really pray into that and really encourage one another to to always remember that, it will shape the way we see the world around us. It will shape whom we serve. It will shape what matters to us. It will shape our stewardship. But it will shape everything. It will shape everything. And in love, that's what Jesus wants for us. Why? Because, brothers and sisters, that is the most wonderful gift God can give us himself. Not just stuff which will waste away as much as we enjoy it and like it and 
struggle after it, all that stuff fades away. But he never fades away. He is forever. And in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, sinners like you and me become part of his kingdom forever. Forever.